Good morning, Regen. Half the size of Regen that it will be in 30 seconds, but uh, I'm going to start off this morning by reading Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I have said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Would you stand if you're able, and we're going to sing together this morning. Uh, really excited about today. Today is the beginning of a season in the church that we call Advent. And so I've asked Paul and Melissa and the girls to come help us uh, kick that season off. So would you guys come on up and uh, I need a, I'll need a microphone. Thank you so much. Okay, good job. Advent is a Latin word that means the coming or the arrival. It's a season of waiting and expectation, a time of longing and hope. The Christmas movie on the Hallmark Channel make this time of year so full and so bright. But instead of feeling full and hopeful, many of us feel empty and hopeless. Advent helps us make the journey from empty to full, from darkness to light, as each week we light a candle on the Advent wreath. As we gather the light, we remember the promise of Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. While we gather the light, we watch and we wait for God to speak, for God to move. We join the watchmen on the walls from the book of Isaiah, waiting for God's light to break over the horizon. During Advent, it's God's desire to teach us that while we are a waiting people, we are not a hopeless people. God will act on our behalf as surely as he has performed his greatest miracle in a small town called Bethlehem in a small stable because there was no room in the inn. While we look forward in hope that God will move on our behalf, we also look back, encouraged that if God worked before, he will surely do so again. Let's pray together. Father, we bring to you today all of our waiting and all of our hoping, and we confess that we very often lose our hope as we wait for you to move. Teach us hopeful endurance and keep your first coming before us as a down payment on your faithfulness to us in the future. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your greatest gift. Amen. All right, well, good morning and welcome to Regen on what feels like a beautiful spring morning. Like, what in the world? <laughs> but we'll take it, right? Sun and warmth. Um, 
can't go wrong in Northeast Ohio. But um, for those of you who are new to Regen, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we were, you're welcomed, you're expected. And if you um, would like, we have a gift on your way out. There's mugs back there, and there's a hay card that we would love for you to fill out. Um, that will just get you connected with our weekly email, which will let you kind of know what's going on here at Regen and ways that you can connect. Um, and since it's the first Sunday of the month, I just want to talk about our check-ins real briefly. So when you um, are on your Facebook and if you use the hashtag RegenGives, that's going to generate a donation. And this month um, in December, it's going to go to the Crociovera family who are church planning in Sicily, Italy. So Sheila was actually my roommate in college and now she and her husband and their son are starting a church there. So um, if you would use that hashtag, that'll generate a donation to them. And then um, today at 2 p.m. at our Grace campus, Candice Cooper, who um, helps in our children's ministry, she's going to be going to um, Thailand to be doing missions work there. And so there's going to be um, an event at the church where she's going to be talking about what she's going to be doing. You can meet the missions agencies she's going to be going with. And, um, and you can find out more information from Candice if you'd like to know more about that. But that's today at 2 p.m. at our Grace campus. Um, and so um, we're going to go ahead and just pray for our offering, and uh, we'll just continue on with our service. So would you pray with me? Uh, dear Jesus, we just thank you for this season. We thank you for the gift of your life and death and resurrection for us. We thank you that you came so that we could have hope and joy and so that we can sing songs about who you are and live our lives um, in a way that uh, transforms not only our own lives, but the lives of others. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we take our offering, that we would just give back um, a little bit of what you have given us. And so I just ask these things in your name. Amen. Father, you are as worthy of that song today, uh, the day of a baby shower for us and our family, as the day that we sang it and had a miscarriage an hour later. You are, you are. Um, Father, your goodness really does know no bounds. And so for those of us today that are just, that the night is holding on to us, would you remind us of your goodness today? Would you point us to your faithfulness and your kindness and your joy? And would you bring us back to joy? And for those of us that are just in a good place, um, God, cause that to evoke in us humility right? Cause that to evoke in us um, even more trust in you and use this good season to just cause our roots to go down. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would give us good news, um, and that we would hear from you. Because as your word is explained, your voice is heard. So help us to hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Miss Taylor is taking the kids back. So off you go. That's happening with all that. One thing real fast. Uh, yeah, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Super stoked about this series, so um, it's going to be super fun, but lest I forget, uh, inside your program this morning uh, was a card for um, uh, our Christmas candlelight service, December 23rd at 6 p.m. So help me if I find this in the garbage. I love you. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, do, do this. Take it this week. Stick it. If you're a guy, stick it in your wife's purse. Pro tip. And um, give it to somebody over the next couple weeks. Invite them to our Christmas candlelight. That's the 23rd at 6. If you've never been to our candlelight service, one of the best, most fun, uh, most like just holy moments that we share in a year. But if, you're, if you've never been before, 
uh, you will not find a seat if you come at 10 to 6, and you will, def you will be like standing outside in the cold if you come after 6, because I also know you, I love you, but I see you trickling in after church starts. So um, plan accordingly, try to get here early, and uh, that's that. So hand that off to somebody this week, please uh, interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. That's why we're here for, right? And I'm not really shaming you, I'm just dad shaming you. So okay, there's that. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, we'll get into this. Uh, the other day, Aaron, a lot of you know Aaron, he lives with us. He uh, was dragooned into uh, helping us decorate for Christmas. So Aaron and I go outside and uh, we take the outside lights and we open up the box that has all our outside stuff. And we were horrified to find everything had just become a giant tangled ball. And now, guys, I promise you, I very carefully coiled them. Like, I laid them in there nicely last year so this wouldn't happen. And I opened up the ball, and it's all tangled up in this garland that we hang. And so I had to spend, which means Aaron had to spend, like 10 minutes being very detail-oriented, untangling these lights. And, and what happens to our Christmas lights is very often what happens to our beliefs, our beliefs about Jesus, about the gospel, about what's true, something that is not of Jesus gets tangled up in there, and, and that's a problem. And here's why. What we believe about God, what we believe about what he's like, about who he is, it really does drive how we behave. Belief drives behavior. And if something gets tangled up in our relationship with God that is not of Jesus, it's going to cause us to live a little bit differently so here, here's a really good example of this. People say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay? God won't give you more than you can handle. They believe that God is loading them down with suffering and hardship because they can handle it. They believe that God wants them to prove how hardworking and diligent they are. And this leads to people who feel uh, often either totally deflated by yet another difficulty because it's like God keeps giving them pop quiz after pop quiz after pop quiz or it leads to people who are very prideful, very prideful because look at me and my ability to handle all of these things that God gives me and yet God won't give you more than you can handle isn't true. It's, it's not biblical and yet I find Christians, I find people who have, I mean, been in church and have some spiritual maturity to them who will, will, say to me, God won't give you more than you can handle with the same sincerity and earnestness that they say, this is how we know what love is, that God gave his only son as a sacrifice for our sins, 1 John 3.16. And so the heart of this series is untangling the Christmas lights of your beliefs, and it's putting our finger on some places where we claim to belong to Jesus, where we assert that we are followers of the way, but how we believe and, and, and how we think, and it's usually revealed in how we talk and especially in how we pray, it says that we've put our faith in Jesus and something else. It says that we've put our faith in Jesus and something else when the call of Jesus is for us to put our faith and trust in Jesus only. 
So next week, we're going to talk about Jesus and angels. If one more person tells me that God took their loved one to become an angel, I don't care how tender or weepy they are. I will say to them that is not true because it's not. Uh, the week after that, the 16th, we're doing Jesus and New Age. Christians are the, of, of all the population in the U.S., Christians are the highest likelihood to believe in New Age practices. So horoscopes, tarot, um, the signs, you know, the Gemini, whatever thingy. What happens is we're called to put our faith and trust in Jesus only, but we often put our faith and trust in Jesus and something else. And we're covering in this first Jesus and, Jesus and Buddha. Because it's not uncommon to hear from our friends and family that they admire Jesus and Buddha in in roughly similar ways. Your friends, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your coworkers may describe themselves as Christian Buddhists or Buddhist Christians. And, and that's interesting because Buddhists only account for 8% of the population in the United States, less than one-tenth. And yet, Buddhist way of, ways of thinking, Buddhist theology has snuck its way into Christian thinking and will kind of untangle that. And, and those who see a lot of similarities between Buddha and Jesus will say, on the surface that Christianity and Buddhism may look very different. But when you get down to the heart of it, they're very much the same. So they may look different on the surface elements, but you know what? Really, Jesus and Buddha were about doing the same things. Uh, Jesus and Buddha were about uh, the same kind of compassionate life and making the world a better way, making the world better. And in some ways, they're right. So for example, Buddha once said, it is easy to see the faults of others but difficult to see one's own faults. Which sounds a lot like when Jesus asked this question, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Roughly similar sentiments, yes? And even their lives are similar, and to prove that point, it's time to play everyone's favorite game show, Jesus or Buddha. That's right, kids. Jesus and Buddha, brought to you by Harvard Divinity School and Clorox Wipes. It's everybody's favorite game about their favorite religious figures. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to name for you a, a, something that happened in a religious leader's life. And there's only two answers to choose from. Both is not an option, Jesus or Buddha. And at the end, you'll get to tally up your points. Okay, so. Okay, okay. Guys, I'm really sorry that I'm about to interrupt this, but I have some friends from seminary that evidently, even though their pastors aren't doing anything on Sunday mornings, and uh, they're being super annoying. So let me just, Caleb and Danny, if you're listening, that's you. Okay. Let me see here. There we go. Okay. Back to Jesus and Buddha. That was a commercial break from our sponsors, the Apple iPad. Okay. Uh, Whose birth, Jesus or Buddha, was accompanied by miraculous signs? You got to yell it out. Okay, who began their life and their mission in their early 30s? Okay, who called people to become disciples and follow him? So you're getting less confident. Rejected, who rejected ritualistic religion in favor of more direct access to God? Who challenged the hypocrisy of the popular religion of his day? Who, uh, after a last supper, told his followers he was going to die? If you answer Jesus to any of those questions, ding, 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 you are correct. However, if you answered Buddha to any of those questions, you are ding, 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 100% correct. Okay, on the surface, this is what I would say. 
While the lives and teachings of Buddha and Jesus have some similarities, what people think is the actual opposite of what's true. Os Guinness, a Christian philosopher, says, comparison is the mother of all clarity. So if you picture this Venn diagram, people are saying, you know, on the surface, Buddha and Jesus kind of have, are very different, but deep down, deep down, they're very much the same. But what is actually true is the exact opposite. On the surface, at a passing glance to an uninformed eye, Jesus and Buddha look very, very similar. But when you get deep, deep down, when you go under the hood, what you find is that actually these, the, Jesus and Buddha are presenting entirely different ways of approaching God and entirely different ways of getting to the good life. So if, if mother, not if mother, if comparison is the mother of all clarity, if mother comparison is the, I don't know, if comparison is the mother of all clarity, what I want us to do is compare and contrast a little bit between Jesus and Buddha and the religions they started or the religions that were started in their name, and uh, we'll go from there. But let's talk for a second about who the Buddha is. So first of all, Buddha is not a name, it is a title. It means enlightened one. And it was a title given to a man whose name I'm about to butcher, Siddhartha Gautama, who lived roughly from 566 to 486 BC, roughly 400-ish years before the life of Jesus. Buddha, Siddhartha was the son of royalty, and when he was born, one of the miraculous signs was that it was prophesied that he would either become a religious teacher or a very famous emperor, and his father did not want him to become a religious teacher. So there's a lot of legends around uh, the upbringing of the Buddha uh, about his father trying to hide from him kind of the poor and the underbelly of society so that the Buddha wouldn't have this response to want to go care for them. But even though, so even though that happened, Buddha gets married. He has a son at age 29. He still leaves his life of comfort to seek religious knowledge, and he attains enlightenment at age 35 while spending all night under the Bodhi tree. And he has three visions, one of which is he sees all of his past lives laid out before him. Uh, this is after kind of having some two other teachers uh, After his enlightenment, he just somehow knows that both of his teachers are dead, so he travels a distance where he sits down and preaches his first sermon, which is called Setting in Motion the Wheel of the Dharma. The Dharma means teaching. Uh, After he gives this sermon and some people start to follow him, he travels on foot an area roughly the size of Pennsylvania until he dies at age 80. His last words are, decay is inherent in all things. Be sure to strive with clarity of mind for nirvana. As his death approached, uh, Buddha did not appoint successors. He instructed his followers to follow the Dharma, to follow the scriptures that he had laid down. uh, And that led, of course, kind of in similar way to most religions, kind of a few schools of thought developing. And now there's three or four major ones in Southeast Asia. Now, The teachings of Buddha were not written down or are written down in something called the Pali Canon, which I have some pictures of that. The top left, it's the Pali Canon. Before there was paper, it was kind of written on slats of wood that were kind of put together, um, kind of bound down down here and then long strips of wood. Um, But they weren't written down until, uh, make sure I get this, the first century AD in Sri Lanka. So, Four or five hundred years after the Buddha dies is the first time anybody begins to write down his teachings. 
the earliest available copy that we have of the Buddhist teaching of the Pali Canon comes from the fifth or sixth centuries. So catch what's happening historically here. Buddha is 500 years before the life of Christ. Sometime in the first century, uh, his writings are written down. We do not have any copies until five or 600 years later. So we're looking at, I don't know, eight, 800, 1,000, 1,100 years of separation between the life of the Buddha and his written down teachings. Now contrast this, by the way, with Christianity. That bottom right thing is called P52, Papyri 52. Uh, we found that among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, Jesus dies age 30, age 33, and within the first two decades of his life, the books of Mark and 1 Thessalonians are written, and, and, and they're sent around the ancient, well, the classical Mediterranean world. We have no copies of the originals. Our earliest copy is from the very beginning of the second century. In other words, six, seven, eight decades after the life of Jesus. If you're a historian, your jaw just kind of dropped a little bit because that amount of time between the original writing of a historical document um, and, and our earliest copy is unprecedentedly short. Um, very few, if any, documents that we have historically have that close of a gap. We often have copies of copies of copies of copies that transcend a few hundred years. And if you want to get super into this, I can turn on my Dr. Sauer voice who taught Bible intro at Moody Bible and can tell you all about the classical scrolls. Anyway, um, however, that's just, that's just one thing. I want to look a little bit about some of the teachings of Buddha. We're going to hit this rapid fire um, and we're going to compare them with the way of Jesus. But what we're saying about scripture is, at the very least, a far more historically accurate document than the Pali Canon. Okay? Interesting. So let's talk about a few ways that uh, they taught. One of them was the way. I mean, the Buddha shows the middle way of compassion, right? He teaches the middle way of neither excess nor abstinence. That was some of his problem with his previous two teachers, was one was all about abstinence and one was all about excess. Ultimately, it, what Buddha is showing is the way out of the cycle of reincarnation. What Jesus offers, he claims to be the way, which is ultimate reality in human form. Let me nerd out for a second. In Colossians, Paul says, uh, he is the firstborn above all things. In him, all things hold together. Uh, what that actually means is Jesus is the logical principle of the universe. So two plus two equals four. The geometry test that I failed, the reason that there's right answers is because Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. When Jesus says, I am the way, he says, I am ultimate reality in human form. And he comes to us and models a life of active love for all. Now that's where there's some overlap, right? Jesus kind of compassion and servanthood, Buddha's way of compassion and kind of non-harming. There's some similarity there, but there is a big difference between revealing the way and being the way. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So there's the way that they talk about. The Buddha teaches that the universe consists of six different realms, but there is no one God at the heart of them all. It's an impersonal universe. Um, reincarnation in the Buddhist mind is not kind of endlessly becoming another life form, but you're moving up and down in this tier of six, okay? Um, Jesus's teaching is that God exists at the center of our universe as a community of ever-relating love, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he created all, that he sustains all, and that he is inviting us back into his own life. That is what Jesus does, is he invites us into the loving fellowship of the Trinity. The goal 
I believe is next. The goal, what, here's the goal of Buddhism. Here's the end. Buddhist practice in this life aims to achieve one of two things. And the reason there's two is because we kind of have diverging streams, okay? One is gaining greater merit or karma so as to be reborn in a better form or realm. Another one has to do with attaining enlightenment so as to escape reincarnation and completely enter nirvana. Those are kind of the goals. Jesus's goal is to wake us up to how loving and forgiving God is toward us. He calls us to trust him enough to come home and receive salvation as a gift to be celebrated and shared. And the operative word is gift. So in Buddhism, no matter what, there is a working and an earning involved. There is a pulling oneself up by your own bootstraps, whatever you want to call it. Meanwhile, the goal of the way of Jesus, there is salvation to be celebrated and shared, heaven to be brought to earth, but all on the basis of a gift that is on the basis of what Jesus has done. Now, two areas, two areas of uh, Buddhist thinking that really have snuck into popular culture and into the Christian mind in particular has to do with karma and has to do with nirvana. So karma... I don't know why the grace fell off there, so that's frustrating. But So karma is, here's what you need to understand. It is not a system of rewards and punishments meted out by a personal God. So there is no, in Buddhism, there is no one behind karma. Karma is like gravity. Our actions are objectively measured against the standard of karma. Who makes the standard or who measures it, we don't know. Um, and karma is like the elevator that moves us up or down in that spectrum of six things uh, in those worlds. And actually, if you double-click on those six things, there's a lot more. It gets super confusing. Welcome to my week. Somebody said to me at Grace Campus, thanks for, like, intro to world religion class. I was like, yeah, now you know what my life has been like. Um, really, you know what would have been easier? Let's just talk about the shepherds at Christmas time and go home is really what I'm learning. Um, it sounded like a good idea at the time. But notice this, that... That it, karma is not unlike grace because karma, again, is an impersonal force. Grace is a personal force. It's unmerited favor. It's freely given by a personal God who knows our actions. So he knows our actions and our motives as opposed to our actions and motives being randomly judged or by whatever standard. He knows our actions and motives and intentions, but he continues to freely give us himself. That's grace. Now, here, let me give you this. If... If you find yourself saying or believing, I wonder what bad things I have done to cause all of these bad things to keep happening to me. If you're saying, like, I must be putting things out in the universe for them to come back to me in a bad way, you are not thinking like a Christian, you're thinking like a Buddhist. You're no longer of the way of Jesus, you're of the way of Buddha. Because karma is this idea that when I put bad things out there, bad things come back to me. If I put good things out there, good things come back to me. Whereas, again, that's an impersonal force. Who says, how do we know? Grace is that our father and our friend is kind of overseeing the circumstances of our life. And while sometimes our sin leads to consequences, those consequences are not randomly assigned especially for the people of Jesus, those consequences are used as discipline because scripture talks about God disciplines us as we would discipline our kids. God will permit what he hates to accomplish what he loves in a spirit of disciplining us to make us more like Jesus. And so we never say these things that are happening to us on some level or not are, there's a whole other category that we can get into about like what about trials and these random things and stuff like that. But 
what we are saying is that God will bring some things into our life as an, in response to our decisions to discipline us. That's the difference between grace and karma. So we can't say this random bad thing is happening to me because I did a bad thing. It's, it, it, we need to ask, is God permitting this in my life as an act of discipline and, and consequences to my sin? It's kind of a tricky category. But the other one is nirvana versus heaven. Nirvana, which is what you get when you attain enlightenment. Nirvana is the blowing out or extinguishing, that's what that word means, of greed, aversion, and delusion. This is a confusing sentence. The metaphysical place of transcendent consciousness. I'm not sure what it means either. Let's just keep going. Okay. And it is, but ultimately it's the escape from, it's the escape from this cycle of reincarnation. Heaven, in contrast, is arriving home and becoming who we were always meant to be in the place where what God wants done is done. That's what heaven is. Heaven is experienced now in service, action, worship, and prayer. Now, here's what I, is important about this. If you believe that heaven is a place that you go after you die and doesn't really affect the day-to-day living now, you're actually believing like a Buddhist. If heaven is a place that you finally get to escape from sickness and suffering and hardship, that's one of the reasons heaven will be good. But if it's just about escape, you're not really following and and interested in the heaven of Jesus. What you're interested in is is nirvana, and we're not thinking like that. N.T. Wright says that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Heaven, in the way of Jesus, is something that we colonize our ordinary places with now, right? We pray on earth as it is in heaven. So if we want to escape the bad things of this world, we don't want heaven, we want nirvana. If what we want is to be with Jesus face-to-face now, for other people to experience that now, if we want to make earth look like heaven, then we're actually chasing down the Jesus ideal. Now, they died, both of them. Buddha dies at age 80 and slips into nirvana having attained enlightenment. Good for him. Uh, Jesus dies violently at 30, forgiving his killers. And, And in all of these differences between Jesus and Buddha, the most important is this. It is the difference between becoming and being. It is the difference between becoming and being. Buddhism is the story of a man who was like any person who became enlightened. Enlightenment is something, this is the life of Buddha. He's just like us before his death, but on his way through his life, found enlightenment and entered nirvana. He became something. He attained something. He stumbled into something. Enlightened, he attained enlightenment by taking the middle way of compassion and he escaped reincarnation. But the issue with that, hear me on this, is that the teaching of Buddha comes with no guarantee or certainty. Follow the teachings of Buddha and you may eventually, like he did, find your way into nirvana. You may attain enlightenment. You may become enlightened. Because it was something that Buddha found, because it was something he became, he can offer no guarantees. If this is the life of Buddha, the next one is the life of Jesus. Because the the story of Buddha is a story of becoming. The story of Jesus is a story of being. I have Philippians here because Philippians 2 talks about how though Jesus was God, 
He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant. So he comes down, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And because of that, uh, Scripture says, God has put him in the place of highest honor. He's been put in place of highest honor, having the name above every name, so the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on earth, under the earth, and above the earth. That this is a story about being. This is a story about being, which is exactly what Jesus, what John is getting into in John chapter one. When he says, "In the beginning, the Word, which is all, which is Jesus, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and bonus, the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him." Which means, actually, that Jesus was there before creation. Steph and I were talking on the way here. She said, you know, Buddha attains enlightenment while sitting under a tree. Jesus spoke the tree into existence, is what we're talking about, okay? Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Buddha is a human who finds enlightenment. Jesus is divine who is light, John chapter 1 verse 9 says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus becomes, uh, Buddha becomes enlightened. Jesus is himself the light. Buddha shows the way to nirvana. Jesus is himself the way to life and life abundant. Buddha finds his way into divinity. Jesus was divine before the foundations of the earth. Buddha offers teaching that when followed closely, may Maybe, we hope, we'll get you out of the endless cycle of reincarnation. Jesus' life and death and resurrection ends the endless cycle of sin and suffering and with certainty offers us heaven to be experienced now and forever. There is a vast difference. Now, if you're not a Christian, welcome here. I'm super glad that you're here. If you're super skeptical about the teaching of Jesus, great. Here's the question for you. The question you have to evaluate between Jesus and Buddha is a claim of becoming and a claim of being. Buddha claims to have become something. So your question is, do I believe that Buddha actually has become who he claims to be? And in his becoming, does he offer me the ability to become like him? The claim of Jesus, right, is that he is God in the flesh, Right? So the claim, the, we have to ask the claim, is Jesus' claim to divinity authentic? Is, and, and this is where like, you've got the C.S. Lewis, like, Lord, lunatic, or liar argument, right? Like, either Jesus was Lord, or if he wasn't a lunatic, then he was a liar, and if he was neither of those things, then he has to be Lord. But, but those are the claims you have to evaluate. You have to evaluate a claim of becoming versus being, which is one of the reasons, by the way, that Buddhism and, and Christianity can't hang out together. Because if Jesus was there at the foundations of the earth, he has final say on what actually the world is like because he made it. Buddha is at best guessing because he stumbled into something. He attained something. What you find is that the invitations of Jesus and Buddha are vastly different. They're both inviting us into something. What Buddha is inviting us into is this. He says, I have found something that everyone needs. And if you do what I say, and work your hardest, you may eventually earn your escape of the endless cycle of reincarnation and find nirvana. You may eventually earn. Meanwhile, the invitation of Jesus is, I am something that everyone needs. I am the living water. If you follow me, if you wrap your life around mine, you can be certain that you will be with me forever because I have done everything necessary to give you freedom and forgiveness forever. 
He has done everything necessary. What that means is when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, by faith, all we're doing is becoming who Jesus is because Jesus has already accomplished everything that there needed to be done. Whereas the Buddha is saying, you need to come be like me and accomplish what I accomplished. It's much, much harder. And, and in fact, here's what the truth is. There's very little good news in the teachings of Buddha. It is a religion of earning. It is a religion of chance. It is a religion where you entrust yourself not to a personal God who reveals himself as father and friend, who says, I have a unique perspective on the way the universe works because I made it. You're entrusting yourself to a person who found something in the hope that you might be able to move up on the basis of your good deeds. But how, how do we know the deeds are good? Who gets to measure? Who gets to say? Nobody knows. In contrast to this, there is the good news of Jesus. And this should come as no surprise because the night that Jesus was born, angels tear open the sky and say, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not like, hey, I wanted to send you this interesting thought on Instagram Messenger. No, I bring you good news of the greatest joy that will be for all people. And this, is the, and this is the good news is what John says in chapter one, verse 14, the word became human and made his home among us. See, now I contradicted myself because I said that the stories of Buddha and Jesus are about becoming and being. And now I just said Jesus actually became something he did. But notice how this works. Buddha become, starts like us and becomes something else. He becomes enlightened and says, come up here and be with me. Be like I am. And the only way between here and here is hard work. The only way between here and here is, is this earning, right? What Jesus does is he starts up here and he becomes like us so that he can take us back to be where he is. And so this process isn't a process of earning, it's a process of grace. It's a process that we are incorporated into by faith and by nature of our union with him. C.S. Lewis has this line where he says, Jesus became, like God became man so men could become like God. All of these other religions of the world are all kind of function like Old Testament Judaism, which is here's the standard, here's you, work really hard and if you're lucky, you'll get up here. The way of Jesus is different because Jesus starts up here and brings himself low for us to elevate us to where he is. He brings us with him. This is what makes us inheritors in the faith. This is how he brings us home. And so he uniquely is able to do this because John 1:14, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone's coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, John says, we have received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one, no one has ever seen God but the unique one. Grammatical side note, something cannot be very unique. It is either unique or not. There can really only be one, at its core definition, unique means there is nothing like it. The unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us at the risk of spoiler alerts for my Christmas candlelight service. If you want to know who God is, it is only Jesus who has been in the bosom of the Father. It is only Jesus who is near to the Father's heart. Everybody else is guessing. Even the prophets, even the apostles, even the best megachurch pastors, we're, we're all seeing in a glass dimly, but Jesus 
is the only one who can reveal God's heart. Only Jesus is near to the Father's heart. Only Jesus comes to us with unfailing love and faithfulness. Only Jesus gives abundantly one gracious blessing after another. Only Jesus existed from the beginning. Only Jesus reveals the glory of the Father. Only Jesus, only Jesus was God in the beginning, but became flesh for our sakes. Buddha became enlightened, and from that elevated place of enlightenment says, come up here and be like me. But Jesus who is God and was God and will forever be God, comes to us and he comes to us like us. He comes down to us. He becomes like us in every way. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. He takes our suffering and he opens the way to God. And the only thing we need is him. The only thing we need is him. Jesus only, not Jesus and, is the way to fulfillment. Jesus only, not Jesus and, is the way to fulfillment. And when people claim when people claim to see these similarities between Jesus and Buddha, and when they want to like take both, they're, they're not stupid. I think that they're sincere. I think that they're well-intentioned. I think they're trying to be wise. I think they're trying to be tolerant. And actually what they're trying to do is make the good news of Jesus more good. Because you don't have to choose. And actually we all kind of figured out the same thing. But, but not only are people trying to mix Jesus and Buddha, are they wrong, and every millennial just had a tiny little aneurysm, right? Truth claims, sorry guys. Um, not only are they wrong, what actually is happening, they're not succeeding in making the good news more good, they're actually making it less good. They're actually making it less good. I don't think it's their intention. I think they're trying to be kind, I think they're trying to be loving, I think they're trying to be, but, but here's the reality. When the good news, when the good news is made less good, it's not worthy of our belief. It can't hold the weight of a human soul. And, and of all the things to make this impossible, it's not the crucifixion, it's not the resurrection. What makes it impossible, what makes it impossible uh, for, 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 for us to do Jesus and Buddha is Christmas. It's Hallmark movie season, friends. It's sleeping tender Jesus. What is the song? All tender and mild right? Like Jesus is often depicted in like these paintings, like, like kind of like Zoe Byler, like every picture of her I see, I just want like ear, which isn't that a weird thing to say, by the way, like I just love that baby so much I want to eat them. That's weird. Um, but then you do that with like all the pictures of Jesus are that way. Like how cute can we possibly get him? But it is cute, tiny little baby Jesus in the words of Talladega Nights, don't even know a word yet, that actually creates the dividing line between Jesus and Buddha. It creates the dividing line that separates these things because what we're doing is he says, I don't want anybody making my good news less good because I will do everything necessary. I will accomplish everything necessary. I don't want heaven without you, so I'm going to bring heaven down. And, and all you need to do is rest in me. All you need to do is make your home in me. You need to be united to me by faith. Meanwhile, Buddha says, work really hard. And by the way, it's not that Christianity is opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. That's a Dallas Willard quote. So I'm not saying that following Jesus doesn't involve some effort. It does. But at no point is our effort trying to earn the favor of God because Jesus has already accomplished that for us. We just get to come home. We just get to walk into it. It is only Jesus who has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And it is only that name can, that can bear the weight of a human soul. Now, a couple things, just as we end. The first the goal of this sermon isn't to make Christians feel smart and smug and proud and pompous because, boy, haven't I figured it out. It's not. 
because every follower of Jesus is living Jesus and. Jesus and money, Jesus and sex, Jesus and my past, Jesus and tradition, Jesus and religious accomplishment, Jesus and my accomplishments now, Jesus and my family. So it's not to be like, look at these silly Buddhist people, nor is it to make fun of Buddhists. What it's actually intended to do is equip you as missionaries. So Candace is going to go to Thailand, a predominantly Buddhist culture, and try to show them the way of Jesus and how that's ultimately good news, right? We live in not a predominantly Buddhist society. We live in a predominantly spiritual society, which is super confused. And so we want to be equipped as missionaries to go and equip people. Once they say to us, I want to do Jesus and Buddha, we have the tools to say, I love you, but no. And let me tell you why the good news of Jesus is really good, because it is only Jesus who reveals the way to life and to life abundant. It is a life of bringing heaven to earth now. It is in preparation of an eternal life of being with him forever. It is only Jesus. It is only Jesus that promises us hope for the future. It is only Jesus that promises us joy in this life. Art and Pam were missionaries in Thailand for 20 years. They said, Buddhism, it's a prominently Buddhist culture, it's so joyless, it's so hopeless, because you're banking your whole life on a chance. We don't bank our life on a chance, my friends. We bank our lives on a person who has known and seen us and knows and seen the Father and operates as the bridge between us and shows us not a way, but is himself the way to the Father. It's only Jesus. Let me pray. God, we... um, We are the people of Jesus and we like you with a side dish of any number of things. But the reality, Father, is that you um, are just demanding of so much more loyalty. And so, God, um, we just lay down again today those Jesus and things and instead want to pick up true promises of who you are. We get to sing about those right now. And so, God, we pray uh, that from your glorious inheritance, you might give us all wisdom and understanding that even as we walk and serve with our friends who are far from Jesus, we might be able to point them to your good news. Behold, I bring you good news for great joy, of great joy for all people. Help us to have joy in this good news today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been responding. Uh, one of the things we've been doing lately is, you know, take some time and journal, take some time and think through some things. And I think a really great response is for us to just sing back to God true things about who he is. So would you stand if you're able? And we're going to Uh, sing together. At a last supper with his followers, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and he said, the way to God is through my brokenness. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In the same way also in that supper with his friends, he took a cup And he offered it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. I think it's kind of easy to throw some one-two punches in these comparisons, but this is what is true, is that the Buddha attained enlightenment under a tree. Jesus opened the way to heaven while hung on a tree. There's just, it's just there. And you don't need to earn it. It's already done, which is why Jesus invites everyone to his table. It doesn't matter what you've done this week. It didn't matter what you did eight months ago. It it matters what you did. Nothing. It matters what he did. And so if you have a pulse this morning, you're welcome to the table of Jesus. Uh, Someone will rip off a piece of bread. You dip it in the cup and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so um, Zach and Dan and Steph 
uh, and uh, Randy Banning, please. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that that we might be reminded of uh, your goodness today. Uh, Pour out your spirit so that we might be brought into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. The table is open. I love you so much. I love Zoe Byler so much. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for being here today. My prayer for you is that you would know the peace that comes from Jesus only. Um, and be missionaries this week. I love you. We'll see you next time. Peace.